Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with Monkey Tennis. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I must complete the journey that my father never could. I must do it on foot. Can't remember why. It will be called The Footsteps of My Father Walk. My home isn't insulated. Monkey tennis? Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey tennis? With a stupid Ewok head. Lava on him, nosy. Love you, Aim. Monkey tennis? A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey tennis? We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey tennis? Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey tennis? Oh, fuck off, Nick. Hello and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast where we're rising up back on the street and ready to limp our way to Dungeness Power Station. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. I'll get him later in the men's by gently pushing him against the urinal while he pees. Nick Alder. Sorry, Callie, but you're about to be breakfast for the coastal cat of Kent. And Tom Stab. You're an Arab. You are. You're an Arab. <laughs> so here we go. Chapter 29? Yes, chapter 29. Hard shoulder, sore foot. Uh, we have a bit of a walk update, I believe. Uh, yeah, and I'll be honest, I tried tracking Alan's day-by-day uh, -day journey progress, uh, telling it up with the information he gives us in the book. And I have to say, I got to chapter 29, and it was quite frustrating because at this point, things don't tally and they don't make sense. Uh, if you pick through all the information that he gives us uh we should be on day 13 which should be a thursday at the beginning of chapter 29 he should be doing uh, east grinstead 2 
what I would guess would might be maybe Ashurst because I was looking for a town or a village that would be five miles away from Royal Tunbridge Wells because Alan does say that he's dropping to five miles or below. Um, so based on that guesswork, day 14 would be five miles Ashurst to Royal Tunbridge Wells. Uh, day 15 would be around five miles Royal Tunbridge Wells to the Tricklebrook Fishery, which does exist. Uh, but then the rest of it really doesn't make sense because... That would put you on to day 16, and he's somehow getting from the, from the Tricklebrook fishery all the way to Lid-on-Sea, close to Dungeness, uh, which means he would have to cover 55 miles in that Sunday um, because he would go from the fishery to Ashford, which he references. That in itself is 28 miles away. Um, he'd have to go from Ashford to the Channel Tunnel, which is a further 13 miles. And in the book, um, he's there at about Sunday lunchtime. He'd then also have to go from the Channel Tunnel to Lid-on-Sea, which would be another 14 miles to take him up to Sunday evening. So essentially unreliable narrator after about the first 12 days none of this adds up he's, ba- he's descended into baffling nonsense well that's the thing you basically got sections where he's blacking out and doesn't really know where he is or what's going on so, yeah, yeah because it's that's it is nonsense because he's saying that because of his maimed foot he's down from 20 miles a day to five miles a day yeah. so there's no way he's covering all of that distance so we don't really know what's going on although at the beginning of the chapter when we rejoin alan he does say he's doing some of the finest strolling of his career mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like he would say that. Yeah, and he tells us that the additional miles he's done going via London is 120 miles. His original walk, 160. Yeah, <laughs> but he had a, a really lo- great detail. A, a lovely time in Royal Tunbridge Wells, or, or Roy Tunwell, yep. um, <laughs> uh, where he said the last of the working classes were driven out sometime in the late 1960s, and you can really sense that feeling of safety as you walk on the high street. Alan references one of our favourites, uh, again, CFAX, um, in regards to what Sky did with their coverage of the Formula One and made it so stat-heavy, it resembles the mix option of CFAX. I don't remember what the mix option was. Does anyone have anything uh, on that? Yes, you, you, essentially, you could turn off the black background, so you'd have um, ah, the, the, the yes. text, the characters uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. over yes, the yes, mix. Yes, 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 yes. uh, rendering it quite hard to read. Yeah, <laughs> a pointless feature. Yeah. Un- unpleasurable to thine eye. Indeed. Yeah. He's listening to some local radio, and like he says, you can tell by the smile in the DJ's voice that it's one of those whose name sounds like a panty liner dream or breeze or shape or silk or something i thought that's good because he's named his own his own radio <laughs> yeah, station yeah, yeah. in that list and does that mean we should have had another quiz radio station or panty liner <laughs> <laughs> save it for the next series so we get some denise info now this is a great story yeah so alan this. alan tells a story of how he took a teenage denise to radio norwich for the day for a bit of work experience helm a phone in on same-sex marriage she struggled to calm an irate catholic and basically went to pieces <laughs> There's a sting in the tail to this, though, because he later informs her that she hadn't even been on air. The Catholic was an actor friend of his, which seemed to upset her more, if anything. Um, but Alan felt it important important to show her that live radio is not as easy as her school friends seem to think. <laughs> and perhaps she should ask them to show a little more respect when they're next round. <laughs> Uh, yep, and Alan suddenly realises he's forgotten about work. At this point, it's Saturday tea time, and Alan's back on the mic 10am Monday morning. So he decides his quickest route is via the M20. So basically, he's walking down the hard shoulder. It's gone midnight, and uh, we find out now that he's hopping. It's a very sorry sight. Uh, Alan doesn't paint a particularly good picture of himself, but I can only imagine what this must look like. Alan hopping down the hard shoulder of the M20, desperately trying to complete a uh, uh, a walk in aid of his father. Also using his arms as indicators. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like the bit he wrote about Dave Clifton as well. My listeners have been in the hands of Dave Clifton for two weeks now, and I know for a fact that his shtick will be wearing seriously thin. Not only uh, does would he look a sorry sight based on what we think at the moment, we also find out that uh, because it's night time and he hasn't got a high-vis jacket, he's basically found a cat's eye and uh, he's tried... <laughs> 
yeah, he's tr- he can't hold it because he's uh, he's so fevered that he's carrying his coat, jumper, and shirt, so he's shirtless now. And that <laughs> the uh, only way to protect himself is to walk backwards with the cat's eye in his mouth. It's uncomfortable and tastes of carriageway. <laughs> this, this reminds me a lot of uh, when we were trying to draw the logo for Footsteps of My Father a few weeks ago. Like the details that just get thrown in as you go, just yeah, make it worse. It just keeps getting worse. worse. Yeah. Um, his foot's got worse as well. He said it's definitely become infected, whether from the stick that cut it or the damp old bread that I found in the park. <laughs> I know not. I thought. The damp old bread will be it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's worth actually reading the description here as well. But, yeah, um, at this point, the foot is swollen and emitting a kind of yellow gel. I guess you could call it foot tripe. While, and this might be my imagination, audibly humming with germs. <laughs> and there, there's another one that follows this quite swiftly. I swear it's developed its own pulse. A rhythmic throb that seems for all the world to be spelling help antibiotics in Morse code. I think before we get to the Channel Tunnel, my other highlight here is that um, Alan writes, I haven't eaten in over a day and the only drink I've had is a bottle of warm apple juice a lorry driver threw out of his window. Thank you, whoever you are. Mmm, bliss. What, was it apple juice? I don't think it was, was it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so things take a rather dramatic turn at this point and Alan has somehow managed to find his way into the Channel Tunnel. Um, I did have a look and see if that was possible and basically found a load of very quite sad stories about people trying to get from France to the UK in the Channel Tunnel and how it doesn't end particularly well. Um, so yeah, by this point, things have gone very, very wrong. Yeah, I mean, Alan writes that he um, it's chilling to think how easily I almost trafficked myself. If a man <laughs> like me can almost smuggle himself cross-border without even intending to then how piddle easy must it be to achieve if you're actually trying but what you're saying stab is you're debunking that theory it's not piddle well easy. i don't know because there are some stories of uh so a man in uh, i got i found a story online where a man appeared in court yesterday after making an astonishingly dangerous walk through the channel tunnel to france in his flip-flops <laughs> The important detail the flip-flops <laughs> yeah i mean to test it out we could send jed to the channel tunnel Okay, let's do that. Yeah, okay. We'll report back next yeah, series. Off you go. Off you go. We'll take it from here. See ya. Thanks, mate. What a fun line <laughs> in this article you're reading that says, uh, the vacuum effect created by Eurostar Express would normally suck up and kill anyone walking through the tunnel. Wow. Lovely stuff. <laughs> Sleep <laughs> well, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> nice safety feature there. Yeah. Don't worry, if anyone does try it, they'll just be sucked into a vacuum. <laughs> and killed. Great. So normally you wouldn't be able to get anywhere near that, but apparently there was a brief malfunction in the systems of surveillance that allowed him to get into <laughs> the tunnel. I mean, the night watchman was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got anything else really on this chapter. that pretty much wraps up the chapter, to be honest. Yeah, on to chapter 30. Rising up, back on the street. Which is, of course... Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger, yes. Uh, Which is, of course, from Rocky 3. Yes, I thought it was uh, Rocky 3 as well. (laughs) (laughs) Which one's Rocky 3? Where he fights Mr. T. Oh, nice. Yep. Pity the fool. Uh, so this chapter opens with Alan talking about the crawl YouTube clip. Have we all seen that video, by the way? Yes. yes. Yeah. Through gritted teeth. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> for people who haven't seen it, uh, it's a video of uh, Sean Welsh and Wendy Ingraham, uh, who are both highly uh, decorated mm. triathletes. Um, and they basically were doing an Ironman race. And by the time they get to 140 miles, I think it was basically their lug- legs have shut down yeah. and they're struggling to get over the line. Um, Alan says, I think the video uh, is meant to celebrate the triumph of the human spirit, but good God, it is one of the funniest things I have I ever say, seen. Much like Sean, I was in pieces watching this video. But what <laughs> is brilliant, brilliant, but what is brilliant so about that, Alan. what is brilliant about that is that they're competing for fourth place. Like they don't <laughs> even get a place on the podium. <laughs> oh, 
God. Uh, and yeah, so the, the void between the fact that you're supposed to take this video quite seriously and it's two people having quite a harrowing time. Uh, Alan basically commentating it in the book like he's presenting uh, You've Been Framed. <laughs> when he says it, 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 it is. with laughter, yeah. You can imagine this being read out as if it was commentary on the video. It's like, uh, they're meters from the tape and determined to scoop gold, but after jogging for 100 miles, their legs have other ideas. <laughs> uh, Alan says that a friend of his took the video and added the theme to Steptoe and Son, uh, by the way, that is an actual video on YouTube that someone has done. And in the description, it says, thanks to Alan Partridge for the idea. Also, <laughs> this is just a bit of fun. All respect to these amazing athletes. Yeah. So if you search for it, the second video result will be to the theme of Steptoe and Son right. that someone's made yeah. after uh, reading Nomad, basically. Do you want another uh, foot injury description at this point? Yeah, go for it. Is my bloated hiking shoe leaving a trail of gunk behind it like a leather snail? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he's a bit delirious by this point, imagining the part of the UK he's in looks like a cat's face in profile on Google Maps and also trading his watch for some Rolos when he can't remember his pin. I mean, I'd really like the detail that he can't start laughing at this point as well. <laughs> he's literally lost his mind. Uh, yeah, and in the book, you'll find that there is a little uh, map of uh, the southeast of England where Alan has drawn a sort of lines around the, uh, the coast and it does look a bit like a cat's head in profile. So yeah. Uh, some lovely minor details around this point as well where he says uh, uh, in reference to the crawl video did it really matter who won the 1997 female Ironman sick world championship of course not it's almost literally a non-event and he then goes on to describe Mar Martin Luther King Jr he says Martin Luther King's son Martin Luther King Jr <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to go back to the watch quickly uh, it turns yeah. out that it's a fake from China but Alan does say that he has a genuine Rolex Submariner as worn by Connery of course it's a Connery model isn't it did a bit of googling uh, there are different kinds of submariner watch but it looks submariner. like they, submariner, submariner sorry sorry submariner uh, and it looks like they cost between five and a half grand up to 28 grand uh, even the cheapest one on ebay is three and a half grand and the highest one on ebay seventy five thousand pounds wow so here's my working theory uh he's got a drawer full of fake rolexes which he gives to workmen as gifts and he's got uh, a, a fake one on his wrist which he pretends is different and real yeah yeah, yeah. and unless if he bought that when he was still getting some good bbc money yeah perhaps. maybe yeah yeah um, also, yeah, it says that he uses Google Maps. So how has he gone so wrong on his walk if he's literally got Google Maps to use? Well, he started I mean, with the AA route planner, didn't he? But he's obviously now switched to Google Maps. And I think he's delirious with infection by this point. Yeah, yeah. good point. Should be using Apple Maps as well. I he, he definitely shouldn't. <laughs> so he's really struggling at this point. So he turns to music, which has always been there for him. But unfortunately, his playlist, Alan's Belters, isn't on his iPhone. Now, this comes back to a point that I made in an earlier episode where at one point, one point where he does go to listen to music, yes. there is loads of music on there for him to listen to. So at some point between then and now, it's all gone. He blames his assistant, but is it actually Alan's fault? But it, perhaps if you want to argue this isn't an error, although I think you're right, it might be because the specific playlist Alan's belters that is going to pull him out of this funk, that's what he's looking for on that specific playlist, isn't there? Right. Or was his phone stolen by Brian slash teenagers and he's bought a replacement that doesn't have the music it, on it. it's the sort of thing where actually that might have happened and it's a whole detail he hasn't bothered to explain True, in the book yeah, as well yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but no uh, actually no that doesn't make sense because then he's still blaming lynn for having not put the playlist on so no, no, no but then no no there is no music on there because he says there's only one track on his iphone a voice memo of his assistant attempting to sing i dreamed a dream yeah <laughs> but that's what i'm saying so him buying a new phone doesn't check yeah, out because yeah. unless if when you get a new iphone it has a voice memo of lynn singing on it that, and that casts her in quite a sort of Susan Boyle capacity, which yes. I do think is very Lynn appropriate. Uh, after dreaming a dream in which I dismiss her, I limp <laughs> forward. <laughs> Are we going to cover Hadaway at all? <laughs> 
Uh, please, I'm also keen to discuss Alan's belters and potentially Lynn's belters as well. Yeah. Well, shall I start with Hadaway? Yep. Um, it's just a funny little footnote here um, where Alan references a story where in 2008 uh, I spotted Hadaway in a hotel steam room. I strode over, introduced myself and said I wanted him to sing on a jingle I'd written. The sessions went badly. And it, was only when I, <laughs> it was only when I visited the same hotel and saw him dredging the pool that I realised it wasn't Hadaway. Just the man who worked for Jury's Inn. <laughs> that is so good. So good. Followed up by him saying as well, kids' birthday party, hands up who's heard of diastrics. <laughs> The sort of birthday party oh, that I think we'd all like to attend. So I think we're going to put together a little Alan's Belters playlist for uh, the socials. I think we absolutely should. So uh, if anybody out there is uh, listening to uh, listening to us whilst walking, as soon as you finish the episode, <laughs> if you want to put a bit of a spring in your step, there'll be a, a great playlist for you to listen to. I think uh, there might be a genuine grammatical error here as well, because he says, uh, I, look, I quickly look at my iPhone for the playlist I've called Alan's Belters, and then he puts, it says, but Alan's Belters isn't there. There's an apostrophe in the second Belters, not oh, in yeah. the first. Ah. So uh, yeah. arguably, not the beautifully punctuated part of my partridge. <laughs> yeah. have, we you, have you been waiting like nine episodes to make that point? <laughs> I, did, I, did, I, did, I did think, I, if they're going to say that, I'm going to have to check for my yeah. It looks also, like you've circled that a hundred times on the page. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely furious. I've also drawn a big arrow, just put, error <laughs> should you start a sentence with but no <laughs> so bombshell time alan is a granddad did we know this already i don't think we did i don't think no so. i don't think we knew that fernando had a, a, a child no. no 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 so he accidentally calls fernando and we learn that he has a baby and that carol helps out so obviously <laughs> carol's involved but alan no yeah. way involved at all i also enjoy that uh, he refers to the child as the infant not not, <laughs> yeah. not by yeah. name you know not not the gender no, but is that no because infant. he doesn't know well, e- either way, you, I, don't, I think you'd provide more detail or, or mm. more perspective or insight if you didn't have access, uh, rather than just saying Carol helps out with the infant. It's also made clear that he hasn't met Fernando's baby or Fernando's wife. Yeah. <laughs> Comments. I'd love to meet him one day and your lovely wife. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. And he takes a guess at her name yeah, as well. Fernando says, uh, yeah, says, yeah I'd, love to meet, yeah, I'd love to meet him one day and your lovely wife. India, and he says, I exhale, sudden relief. I was this close to calling her Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So his phone battery goes dead and Alan finds himself in rural wilderness. Three hours later, he hadn't dare move. (laughs) And his foot at this point is throbbing like a frog's neck. Lovely. So, yeah, he goes into survival mode a bit here and uh, gets up and discovers that he's reached the perimeter fence of the power station. And then this sort of weird delusion dream Mm. about Julia Bradbury happens with Claire Balding and Portillo making an appearance and then meeting Jesus. I don't like this section at all. I think it's a bit... It's, it's one of the weird things. It's a bit it? weak, I think, this section. I do think it's better. The, the sections of this book I like most are the ones that are tethered uncomfortably to reality. Even if you know yeah. this version of events isn't right, the, the level of detail is very specific. Once to you go happening. into a dream state, it kind of loses. I think that the humour is lost because it's. Um, you could say anything in a dream, whereas when it's grounded in reality, it's yeah. more plausible. Mm. Believe That's it. Like anything could happen. Funny. And I think they could have maybe played with this dream scenario a bit, a bit, maybe a bit differently because I think. They're almost trying to make you think, oh, is this actually happening happening to Alan? But, you know, you have the dead giveaway that Julia Bradbury turns up, approaches him and kisses him full on the mouth. It's like that wouldn't happen in the reality of the APU. Mm. So there's the giveaway straight away that there's no chance that this is actually real. It did remind me a little bit of the scene in Alpha Papa where you have him, you know, uh, the multiple Alans going, Jason Jason Argonaut. (laughs) Jason Argonaut. Yeah. Um, although you do get some bonus references to Tiny Temper, Tommy Trinder, and Tanika Tickerum. Well, I think he gets yeah. cut short. Right. Who are they? Uh, I don't know who Tommy Trinder is, to be honest. I mean, surely you know who 
Tiny Temperies for a yeah, start. Yeah, it was the other two I wasn't so sure yeah. about. Two other bits that I like in this uh, kind of dream fantasy sequence before we uh, before Alan basically ends up in hospital um, is, is it Portillo saying, by the way, I walked from Vienna. I didn't even get the train and cannot believe how straightforward it was. Um, and Alan also writing, I lie there, eyes closed, listening to the sound of the sea, which I have to say is one of the most boring sounds <laughs> there is. He hates nature. And I think that you get that quite a few times in this book where, you know, whether he's annoyed about a bird making noise, he thinks the sound of the sea is boring. So he's taken on board a walk in the footsteps of his father, but he hates walking and he hates being in the great outdoors. So next, Alan awakes in hospital. It's because he's been found babbling incoherently and asking God if he should take his walk directly to Netflix, which I quite like. Um, Again, I'm not such a fan of this bit, so I haven't really got any notes until he escapes. Uh, no, only only a couple of uh, life details. Like he's got uh, Lynn listed as his next of kin, but he says it's through uh, expediency rather than affection, I assure you. And he writes, they had to drain the foot, which isn't a phrase I've ever hankered to hear, which I think we can all agree with. So he spins a yarn and says that he needs to go for a cigarette and heads out and escapes. Uh, and he heads back to North Norfolk Digital, North Norfolk's best music mix, uh, easy for me to say. And three hours later, he's back on the air. So he makes it back in time. That's pretty much the only uh, part of this story that's happened on schedule, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. back to the show. Uh, and then dedicates a song to his assistant, uh, presumably reads her name out on air, but for the purposes of the book, it's been replaced with just the words, her name. Yeah, oh, you know what? I, I just think about this the other day. I think somebody got in touch with a, with a theory that in the APU, the way Alan has written this book, their suggestion was that he's basically done a, um, a find and replace. So whenever, whenever Lynn's name is mentioned, it's literally find Lynn replaced with my assistant, which I thought was quite mm. a nice idea because there are, I think there are some points in across both of the books where it doesn't really dramatically make sense. Mm. So something like, Hey, my assistant's name grammatically, mm. maybe if you write, Hey, my assistant or, I, I yeah. don't know. I can't. Quite, there are probably better examples, but I thought that was quite a nice idea that he's kind of just before publication, he's gone. Actually, I don't want Lynn's yeah. name in this publication. And not only does he not want her name in, but it's an act of laziness the way he's replaced it. He's yeah. not gone through and done it in context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think one final point, particularly about the fact that this is the one thing that's happened on schedule on time in this in this journey. So this this is uh, this really highlights why tracking his journey progress day by day all falls apart because this is now he's on air Monday morning. So that the whole thing about when he starts highlighting it's Saturday lunchtime, it's Sunday tea time. There is no way that he could have covered the actual distance and ended up even near to the Channel Tunnel, let alone Dungeness in any kind of reality. He was doomed from the start. So is it time to head back to the pool? Yes, I think we'd better. Splash down. Right, so Alan's back at the pool. He remembers the hydrotherapist he interviewed in Welcome to the Places of My Life, uh, Annabelle Swanson. Um, he says in the book, Swan Swim, Swan Swim which yeah. is what he says in the show. Yeah, he um, hasn't learned. He hasn't learned at all. Uh, and also, interestingly, when you go back to Welcome to the Places of My Life, her name is Swanson. He says Swan Swim, but on the graphics on the screen, it says Swam Swim. <laughs> <laughs> So he's got it wrong twice. Brilliant. So apparently his foot is so swollen. I keep saying apparently because I still don't believe him uh, for a Veruca sock. So what's the only logical solution? He's opened up three water bottles using a pair of scissors. And with the help of some gaffer tape, he's clad his foot in the bottle's rubber pelt to create a Veruca boot. It's a massive booty, isn't it? (laughs) And all that's left to do is to lower himself into the water until the warm water laps at his back flank and tits. (laughs) (laughs) So so Tom, in in the APU, do you... 
do you think Alan wasn't even hospitalised? I don't because you're, you're like adding adding dramatic license to everything. Like nothing really happens when he gets into the hospital, does it? Like he he's not actually treated for anything. He's just put on a drip. There's okay. no real like actual like operation or process okay. or medication that he has to take or anything. So if if I'm going to buy into your theory here, here's where it potentially works. He essentially ran out of time to finish the walk because he had to get back on air on Monday morning. So the way he the only way he can justify that is oh my foot went. Yeah, he's, he, he's written himself a fable of like a man against the odds. Yeah. He continues through injury. He gets enlightenment from like a lowly tramp. He meets Jesus in a vision <laughs> and then he manages to basically more or less do everything. So arguably there's no tramp, there's no foot injury. Um, he just ran out of time. At this point, I'm starting to wonder if there was even a walk. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to think that Alan Partridge is a fictitious character. <laughs> well, uh, my, my, other, my other thought was you could even question, is his father even dead as well? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very good Great point. Great plot twist. So, the return of Dawn. Uh, she says, you've got a welly on, which Alan thinks might be a terrible, thinks for a terrible, terrible split second that it's pensioner slang for an erection. <laughs> We've got some short bursts underwater crying from Alan here as well. Um, she smiles at me. I feel tears pricking in my eyes. I sink back into the water so that the tears can mingle with it and no one will be able to tell me if I'm weeping or not. Yep. So basically Alan uh, spills to Dawn about his walk ordeal. Um, and then as, as he's leaving the swimming baths um, in the car park, Dawn offers to take Alan to Dungeness. Oh, that's nice. Isn't it? it is nice. It is nice. Um, so I had a little look on the Dungeness uh, power station visitors website and according to the website uh, visits have to be booked at least three weeks in advance so they can carry out security te- checks so they wouldn't have been able to rock up instantly so it says on the website for safety and security reasons all visitors are required to provide some personal information designed to allow for background checks um, so that's basically a photo id which you have to then send to them and present on the day um, in order to get access to the tour. So you're, you, it has to be properly booked in and everything. So yeah, they wouldn't have been able to just turn up um, on the day and, and, and access the visitor centre. Even if Alan throws his weight around, talks about North Norfolk Digital? Fair enough, yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, and I think it, the walk was so recent that he, even if he'd applied for a permission right at the beginning, he still wouldn't have got it no. in time. Uh, and then we learned that um, Alan uh, daubed um, the word idiot on his dad's car. So I don't see how he can have any problems with people... Dorbing cock piss partridge on the side <laughs> of his car. Um, and that he also put dead flies in his dad's underpants drawer. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting because in the father, in the chapter about his father, when he's saying things about, um, he talks about things he would like to have done to him to kind of wreak some kind of payback on him, but he doesn't list the things he actually did do. So he's talking about um, setting a model aeroplane on fire and stuff like that, but none of this. Uh, yeah, and um, Alan says that he's going to sort of change his ways um, he claims he's going to break the cycle and start being a bit nicer to people. That cycle being um, parents being horrible to their children. But then Alan says, maybe I've been nasty to my own kids from time to time. Although they weren't entirely blameless. Fernando was a liar and Denise could be quite sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then really the only sort of final thing that I have is that, um, as always, Alan has to win. He basically kind of makes up a version of reality to himself that to make it that he's beaten his dad and made it to the power station and that he never actually did. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think kind of with I Partridge, I would say that I mean, we can I can sort of surmise this at the end, but I feel like they they do rush endings a little bit and you don't really get the ending satisfaction that everything in the book has been leading up to, I would say. Arguably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I guess you, one could argue that's 
that's perhaps intentionally a joke that because obviously this walk was of quite little kind of consequence so mm. obviously it's a bit of a, a bit of a fizzle out at the ending yeah. but i think that's okay as you go but i think mm. to to have people in the real world pay for a book and then <laughs> and then have a basically a cop-out ending and say well yeah but alan's rubbish so especially if they spent 10 hours dissecting yeah, it as it's, well. it's, it's not quite good enough i don't i disagree because i don't think you're buying this for a, a narrative payoff it's it's not really about the story it's just about the the jokes along the way so i i would just say for me i was it's it's not a particularly exciting ending but it worked enough for me yeah and i'm i i think the the kind of with the gibbons brothers kind of saying like that in essence is the point like him going to dungeness is kind of the whole the whole concept behind the walk it's all just quite a bit bleak and unglamorous mm. anyway mm. so even if he completed it it still wouldn't be that much of an end that mm. much of a significantly mm. big ending would it I, I i suppose so um disappointingly um Dungeness Power Station is uh, actually quite well reviewed on Google and TripAdvisor, so not real, not much uh, gold there in terms of one star reviews. But there is one review. Uh, from... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that a nuclear power station <laughs> is not getting one star reviews. No, no, it's I'm, the visitor with, center. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, that. I'm reassured. I just went to have a look around, and I came out covered in all this neon muck, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like the opening of The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is one good review though that I picked out from a Nicholas Price, which says, "Brought here by Alan Partridge, and I can't say this enough: don't forget your sandwiches." Love to listen in the footsteps of my, brackets, his father. So obviously someone's listened to this or read this. It's nice that there's a couple of things along the way that have made their way into Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Google infiltrating yeah, yeah, yeah. Google Maps. <laughs> That's all I've got on, um, on, on this chapter and I guess the ending of the book. I think my, my favourite thing uh, about this is that essentially the story begins and ends with uh, Alan pushing Simon at a men's <laughs> Yeah, very nice. Great bookends. Yeah. yeah, really good. So on to the epilogue. Yep, chapter 31, epilogue. Um, I think it's quite good that there's a epilogue and that the writers tie up uh, some loose ends and we get an answer as to why Alan's dad didn't make it to the interview. Has anyone got the details on that? Uh, you say details. <laughs> I mean, he did make it, but he just did badly, didn't he? He was shit at the interview. I, I love that, that that just kind of like undermines the entire book yes. by just essentially saying... He didn't. He, he went to an interview. He didn't do very well. He didn't get the job. But Alan's performed this massive walk in aid of celebrating this monumental achievement, and actually, we just find out it was broadly all for nothing. But I think that's the thing. It's obviously that's the conceit from the very beginning that this is all a big construct for Alan to try and generate some publicity and possibly mm. a six-part primetime TV show on BBC One. But by the time you get to the epilogue, even Alan's given up trying to defend that conceit. Is like actually. You know, it seems like blood and receipt. Nothing more, it seems, than a very bad nosebleed. It's like there is no significance to any of this. The only material gain he's made from this entire journey is uh, hiring Dawn as the assistant to his assistant. Um, I would have loved to have seen a show like that. I Ooh. like the idea of what would happen if Lynn was given a little bit of power over someone mm. uh, and, and, and yeah. whether she would treat them uh, a bit more benevolently than Alan treats her. No way. It, we see. We know that Dark Lynn is uh, well, maybe that's, always near the surface. But maybe that's why we see, we're see we seeing Dark Lynn in this time. <laughs> I also think um, it's it's a nice ending and uh, it's nice to have Dawn in there, but I, I would have hoped for a more, a more romantic uh, ending because I think that would have been a nice way to kind of like... That's the end of Angela, and we start with a new chapter with this Dawn. So you want a new you want Dawn. romance between Alan and Dawn. That's what you want. 
yeah, I think it would have been a nice um, angle to take. You want to hear about Alan tongue shagging a 70 year old? Well, I think it would have been better if she wasn't geriatric and just. <laughs> born, she's born his, she's his... his geriatric swim buddy, and you want them to get it on <laughs> with I'm each saying, other. Don't make her old. I think that could have been a nice angle there. But... Um, there is one detail that I like uh, in how Alan finds out that his dad went for a terrible interview, which was Alan uses the money he uh, refused to pay the branding consultant and hides students from the University of East Anglia as private investigators. <laughs> If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So we're at the end of Alan's story, but thankfully there is still quite a lot to this book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, there's one thing that I really, really like from the audio book. So you go through, uh, Alan finishes the book and then he goes through sort of like the credits where, you know, um, he says who's it, who it's by, who it's published by. And then there's a really nice little nugget about something that he's obviously kind of contractually obliged to do, yeah. which yeah. is read about sort of other publications by Orion, um, Orion Audio, whatever. So I think it's really, really funny. So we'll just play that in now. And read by Alan Partridge. The executive producer was Pandora White. This is a Strathmore publishing production for Orion Audiobooks, produced and engineered by Richard Hughes and Chris Sharp. Text is copyright 2016 by Rob Gibbons, Neil Gibbons and Steve Coogan. The recording is copyright 2016 by the Orion Publishing Group and Hatchet UK Company. For information about other Orion Audiobooks, visit the website at www.orionbooks.co.uk. 
So, um, yeah, even though the book itself is, is finished, there's still some gold to be had. So there's an also by this author section, um, which some of the things in here we're aware about, some of the things we're not so aware about. So does anyone want to kind of go through those or? Yeah. 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 So uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the stadium to Alan Partridge by Alan Partridge, 1992. <laughs> now we know that exists. Mm, we yeah, know that's that. been referenced before. Bouncing Back obviously speaks for itself, 2002. Um, Forward Solutions, an imbecile's guide uh, has a footnote to say it's been yet to be published and that was obviously referenced earlier in Nomad. Yeah. Uh, I Partridge, we need to talk about Alan. We've covered in extensive detail. It came out in 2011. My favourite uh, one, <laughs> probably is the one that came next, planning application for single-storey extension to rear of domestic dwelling by Alan Partridge, 2012. That's literally just him trying to get a, <laughs> yeah, a conservatory put on Denton Abbey, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Massive and brilliant. Uh, I wish to make a complaint. Collected funny TripAdvisor reviews by Anna Partridge, again, yet to be published. Would read, yeah, would read. read. I think, read. I can't remember the exact number, but there's at least three references to TripAdvisor mm. and people being rinsed or done over on it. So Yeah, I think clearly, there's even more than three. Yeah, he's yeah, clearly yeah. been prepping yeah. that alongside writing this book. And then from the quill of a Partridge, a poetry compendium by Alan Partridge, which is yet to be published in the UK, which suggests <laughs> for some reason he's been commissioned elsewhere to write a poetry book. Yeah, I'd like to know what country he has been published in. Yeah. Brack Bracket, brackets Y-T-B-P-I-T-U-K. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if... Oh, yeah, because that doesn't have a year on it. I wonder if that's something that maybe Sonia's talked him into and it's been published <laughs> wherever Sonia it, came yeah, from. Yeah, it, it's probably self-published. -pub it's like fan fiction, isn't it? It's just up on the internet to be, to be found by anyone that wishes to find it. Yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan of the index. So there's some index There's a sentence you there. don't hear very often. <laughs> so uh, I'll just pick out can, some can highlights. I just say that there is no index in the Kindle version. Ah. So I, I haven't seen any of this. So I hope this is as good as you're saying, Tom. Uh, yeah, there's some highlights to pick out definitely, which include bitches, Cromwell's, 3397. <laughs> Cherubs, physical strength and aeronautical capabilities. <laughs> Corsadil mouthwash, brand ambassadorship of... Brackets by Corsadil mouthwash, the best mouthwash there is, and finally my favourite motherfucker, comma yeah. regrettable use of. <laughs> I also enjoyed uh, Hadaway, a man who looked like, yeah. and, uh, and Gibson, Gibson Rudy, his fun anthrax joke twenty five, his inability to then take a joke twenty six. <laughs> uh, finally, Netflix. Christ's opinion on. <laughs> um, there is also uh, in the uh, doing my research for this, I found a blog or website um, that is actually part of something called the. They're basically people who review indexes, or they're like a, there's like an indexes society, society or association. They have like conferences and stuff like that, where someone's done an actual serious breakdown and uh, uh, sort of. Uh, deep dive into the credits of uh, of this and iPartridge as well, which I'll share on the socials. I'm still finding gold just looking at this index now. <laughs> uh, another one I found is uh, God, the Father, 6, 7, 26, 39, 47, 50, 55, 66, 67, 70, 126, 150, 165, 177, 178, 187, 190, 192, 196, 202, 229, 231, 255, 263, 264, the Son, 770, 115, 186, 250, 257, 261, the Holy Spirit not mentioned. <laughs> uh, and also, there's another one that's I, brackets, Alan Partridge, pages 1 to 285, <laughs> which is the entire book. That is nice. Great. Brilliant. That is brilliant. 
so then the final final thing is uh, a notes section and it's basically got seven empty pages that alan sort of explains um, again this bit is not in kindle okay yeah, and it's five pages in the uh, paperback as well uh, okay yeah. so uh adam i believe you've got some notes on this uh sure well it's all to do with offset printing apparently so he's basically explaining going into uh, way too much detail about why there are blank pages it's in order it's to do with the way the book's printed and the pages are inserted in in groups of even numbers uh so uh, yeah he's put uh what can i do cut 10 pages worth of copy to avoid starting a signature no chance not gonna happen mate i've cut too much <laughs> as, it, as it is bulk it up with filler about walking loft insulation or offset printing not my style say nothing and avoid drawing attention to it no i will do none of those things and then he says that he basically gives the pages over to the, the reader to record any ideas and if this has become a gcse set text teachers may use the pages to map out lesson plans i love that that kind of um I love that writing style where it's like he's talking to somebody. He's like, no chance, mate, and stuff like that. It's like, who, who is he envisaging in his mind when he's writing those things? It's great. So, yeah, that's basically all the written word of, uh, of Nomad Covered. Um, there is, of course, a photos section. There's uh, two separate photo section uh, within the book. Um, there's some stuff that we've seen before, some new stuff, which may or may not have had some Photoshop done on it. Um, so I just wanted to open it out. Any particular highlights that people wanted to cover? Well, I'm pleased to report that the photos do feature in the Kindle section, but right. uh, they're all just uh, lumped together as one at the end. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed the bit where Alan writes about uh, he was photoshopped into several photos. Uh, he paid a GCSE design student to photoshop him in. Um, I was sadly unable to publish the selfies I'd taken on the journey because my face was too red. And I think he elaborates on how, how red his face gets whilst walking. So um, there are probably, I think, are there about three or four photos in this section where he's very clearly been photoshopped mm. in as an afterthought and it's quite kind of unrealistically done yep and it's my understanding that that art imitates life uh, a little bit because uh, they actually ran out of time during putting this book together to do an actual photo shoot with steve in those locations mm. so they did have to photo shoot it uh, photoshop it for real anyway um there's a couple of things in the, uh, the 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 drawing of the footsteps of my father logo that i wanted to talk about one is that if you look at the bottom of the photo uh, underneath the logo it is uh, a to-do list that says <laughs> yeah. call plumber eggs coat hangers and then underlined stay positive um, also he says uh, he's, he's not a very good drawer because he has a bad hand after he slammed it in a microwave door now i'd like everyone to just imagine a microwave in front of you and try and work out the logistics by which you could slam your own hand in a microwave door you would have to be you'd have to be slamming it with the other hand you have to use a lot of force yeah, to actually the doors create aren't heavy. Like it just it can't be done unless you're absolutely stupid. <laughs> uh, another one of my highlights is from the uh, section about his childhood home, Twelve Cecil Road, where he basically <laughs> imagines he has an imaginary friend who's a homeless person that lives inside the garden shed. Hang on a minute. An imaginary friend who's a homeless person, so he's got previous. Ah, yeah. You've just blown this shit wide open. Not called Brian, though. This one's called Eric, um, and he says that it's very important to not lose sight of the fact that Eric was trespassing. Um, also, he, um, he gets to a certain age, and obviously he doesn't want to have an imaginary friend anymore. So rather than stop imaginary, imagining his friend, um, he says that his homeless friend Eric uh, develops cancer, and as an imaginary person, he has no access to the NHS. So uh, he had no choice but to retreat to the shed and take matters into his own hands on the 3rd of october 1966 eric placed a shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger a tragic end to a tragic life he is survived by his wife elsie also imaginary <laughs> so alan having a really dark imagination where he can't control where it goes yeah uh, that has been consistent from very early early life yeah and then also the other thing from the footsteps of my father um logo 
You will also notice a tiny rugby ball sailing over the capital H because I realised it looked like rugby posts. I hadn't spotted that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he writes, I forgot to mention it in the text in pages <laughs> 77 to 78. <laughs> uh, the rugby ball was an idea I did ask to be included. Uh, did anyone enjoy anything about the uh, the shot of him in front of the car phone warehouse offices and uh, <laughs> the scam that he basically pulls on local taxi drivers? Uh, so yep. he, he goes there and uh, stays on for a cocktail reception uh, sometimes uh, when, when he's done motivational talks for them over the years. He says he has one of every drink uh, but it's a great system because by the time he begins to be unwell he's off car phone warehouse property and in the back of a taxi and as he says the cabbies don't like it and I can appreciate why but at the end of the day there's absolutely nothing they can do uh, I enjoyed the picture of Edmunds so um, there's Edmunds looking exceptionally 80s I don't think he'd mm. look any more 80s if he tried mm. great shirt um, lovely and, hair yeah basically Ewok talks, head he talks about um, a time that Alan found one of his um uh, Edmunds's notebooks in which he'd sketched out hairstyles and that there was a lift to weight equation <laughs> that basically <laughs> detailed the amount of hairspray you would need to keep uh, Noel's hair aloft that supposedly was devised by 16th century art whiz Leonardo da Vinci, although Alan does say at the end, I simply don't believe him. I love that he's described Leonardo da Vinci as an art whiz. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, and then the only thing, other thing that I've got is from the second uh, section of pictures where obviously in this time when Alan's iPad gets synced up to the DigiWall, it goes to his photo gallery and up pops the hand-drawn picture of Michael. Obviously when uh, TTWAP went out, I hadn't read Nomad by that point, so I had no idea that that picture existed. So I got very very excited when I saw that. Little did I know that it's just included in Nomad. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I was excited because I recognised it from Nomad, so <laughs> it works on both levels. Yep. Um, there's a caption alongside the pe- a pebble with a white circle clearly struggling for photos now yep. uh, alongside one of the M20 motorway um, where he says he found this pebble uh, next to a small collection of sticks in uh, on the front doorstep of a house uh, he says they clearly belong to a small child or a grown up with learning difficulties but I didn't feel bad about stealing this one because I liked it and I wanted to have it <laughs> which I thought was extremely cold even for Alan I mean that, that's a, it's a good point to make that I think obviously uh, an overarching joke in this section is a lot of the photos are shit and don't actually <laughs> tell you anything of any significance um speaking of which the william harvey hospital caption in ashford is clearly just him trying <laughs> trying to fulfill his contractual obligations he says uh, it's not a great deal you can say about a hospital especially one in which you are heavily sedated but i'm contractually obliged to provide a caption for each photo and i'm happy to honor that what follows is basically information you would get about this hospital from <laughs> the hospital website or google maps or wikipedia it's like the how to get here page or something yeah like that, exactly yeah. exactly Uh, I think it's worth uh, mentioning a quick quote from the uh, Michael drawing where Alan writes, I never took a photograph of Michael because he found flashes frightening and I don't know how to turn a flash off on my cell phone. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and also um, my therapist said, so speaking of the illustration, my therapist says his eyes seem to follow you around the room and I'm thrilled to have captured that because it's something they used to do to women in real life, especially if he was drunk. Hang on, Alan's therapist? Yeah. Alan has a therapist. Did we know that? Another little bombshell tucked away at the end of the book. I missed that completely. Yeah, I know. Oh, actually, that could be a really good idea for an Alan-based programme where, you know, kind of, uh, what was that? It was called Help, wasn't it? The show where Paul Whitehouse played a therapist in each week. Oh, yeah. I don't know. he didn't play the therapist. He played people being going to a therapist. The he played different, lots of different characters yeah. um, going to therapy, and which was a really good show. Uh, so it would be a series where Alan week by week goes to see a therapist and like basically talks through his issues like and week problems. one granddad graham yeah oh that, <laughs> i think that'd be really good um anyone else got anything else on pictures I've, I've got one uh key highlight for me go for it 
Well, um, Alan uh, actually has quite a long section about the London Container Terminal, uh, and I was just <laughs> quite what we've keen- all been waiting for. Well, <laughs> Strapping listeners, I was quite keen to read out this paragraph. I think you guys will see why. I'm told that in London, the hipsters or trendies have taken to using old shipping containers as offices or retail space. A lot of people think this is cool, but in actual fact, it's not. These containers have earned the right to a dignified retirement. They've spent their lives in the service of commerce, crisscrossing the seven seas, often in perilous conditions. What have millennials ever done apart from a bit of freelance graphic design work? Pathetic. Um, Question to the group, where are we recording this very podcast? (laughs) In Container City, ladies and gentlemen. Container. So basically, so Alan is Jed, just out of yeah. Jed as a hipster. Jed is a London hipster and a trendy, and he's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't even done any graphic design work. <laughs> right, so if that's everything on the photo section, I think it's time for, I guess, a, a roundup and general thoughts on the book and, you know, what we thought and whatever we found that had been written online about it. So, um, yeah, let's crack into that. So we asked you, dear listeners, for your feedback on the book, and we are pleased to share some of your thoughts with you. So I'll start with Tom Stab. Yep. Dave Hughes says, absolutely love Nomad. For me, I'm a big fan of the section where he talks about using a B&B's Wi-Fi to slag them off on TripAdvisor. We like that bit as yep. well. Uh, the section on Gary Wilmot's wedding fry up and of course, the chapter on Edmunds. I listen to it every night on Audible to send me to sleep. Rachel Clark says, absolutely loved Nomad. Best thing since sliced bread. Adam Howes said, I honestly think Nomad was better than I'm Alan Partridge. Wow. And that, I mean, that is big talk. Um, love this book. Really hope we get another book in the AP-verse. Obviously, he means the APU. <laughs> uh, Gaz Rowley-Jones says, audiobook of this is brilliant, which I definitely agree with. It certainly is. David O'Reilly, one word, Edmonds. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran Parr says, disregard the entire Brian section. Does that mean disregard it as fact or disregard it? It's not very good. I think he doesn't like it. Yeah, right, okay. which I would disagree with, but I think that's what he's saying. Right, okay. Uh, Robert Neville said his favourite bit was the Tony Cloak section. Uh, Barnaby Cook just says, script, script, script. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott Cataneo, sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, careful, there's anthrax in there. Uh, Rob Frost says, I love Alan's pioneering self-motivation tools, e.g. climb to the top of this rope or granddad kills himself. Grandad Graham. Uh, James Bancroft wrote, The chapter at the swimming pool is incredible. That's my favourite bit. Uh, Stuart Filmer and Sean Wright both said that Quaddy the Water Monster <laughs> was their highlight. I mean, as a highlight of the book, that's basically just that's one just word. One <laughs> <laughs> There's no description of what Quaddy highlight. is. <laughs> so Lee Milne got in touch with us and was kind of doing a, a, a blow by blow as he was listening to it live via separate messages. Uh, so I'll read a couple out now. 90 minutes into the audiobook, he's still deliberately ignorant that Simon was adopted, but I'm loving it. I uh, feel like Rambo at the top of the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum. Follow up, only 30 minutes left. Brilliant book. The owners of the B&B were gay, so their humour wasn't for him. Uh, next message, and Gordon is dead. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> Genuinely shocked. Uh, Robert Jeb says, I've read I Partridge 18 times and Nomad 19. Bit of a hint of uh, I've got 104 friends about <laughs> yeah. that. Proof then that Nomad is one better than I Partridge. Best part, too many. But Alan talking us through the design of his logo for the walk that's as snazzy as it is challenging is super. Uh, Connor McKillen wrote Nomad is a work of art the index of the book showing all those partridgisms is a stroke of genius Colm Mulhall says for the Noel Edmonds chapter alone Nomad is a worthy part of the AP canon it had me laughing so hard I had Kenko coming out of my nostrils <laughs> and Adrian Bavister says I loved the prologue so funny classic Alan to describe walking in such detail a masterclass from the writers also loved 
all of the footnotes. Looking forward to hearing you speculate on The Man in the Park. Uh, it's been a while since I read it, but I seem to remember wondering at the time if it was Alan's dad. Now that's a big theory, isn't it? Mm, possible. Uh, Alan's dad turns up alive to... Oh, I see what... Uh, Brian. Is he saying he's he's alive or he's saying he's... A vision. As a vision. Oh, well, I, I'm reading that as he's implying that his dad is basically a homeless in Gravesend. Wow. I mean, oh, sure. <laughs> it would tie in nicely in your with your suggestion of Steve Coogan playing uh brian the tramp so he yeah. got steve coogan playing alan's, alan's dad. dad yeah, yeah, yeah. who the hell that. is that <laughs> so that's what you thought of it so far obviously do uh, keep your feedback coming and we'll round it up in future episodes um but thanks to those of you that got in touch it's time to take a look at the critical acclaim and the reviews for nomad around the time that it came out tom stab i believe has some intel on that yep um the guardian called it glorious uh, and the telegraph said uh sorry gave it five stars and said the funniest book of the year which i believe appears as a quote on the actual paperback i believe uh yes or in the book sorry it's on the back funniest book of the year from the sunday telegraph there you go um so yeah that was the general consensus that it was critically well reviewed and if you go on amazon if you go on uh, goodreads uh, similar sort of ratings what's the amazon star rating it's four and a half stars from 333 customer reviews i assume four out of five seems fair so we know what you the listener thought and now we know what the critics thought but it's time to talk about what we thought about nomad uh the alan partridge book and where it fits into the scheme of things who would like to kick us off uh yeah sure i mean i think it's i really enjoyed it and i've I've read through it quite a few times as always i think we'd all agree same with i partridge the audiobook is the best experience of this because you're getting coogan in full character um it's hard to decide what I think I liked more out of this and I Partridge. I think probably I Partridge because it's kind of grounded in retelling his version of stuff that we know so well, which actually makes me think, personally, I'd love to see a televised version of this. Agreed. I think you could have a lot of fun with that. And yep. I think the Gibbons brothers don't really agree, which I think is a bit of a bit of a shame. I could really visualise lots of these sections working as, I, a, as a TV show. The, the feeling I get is that is that this, uh, this reservations about whether this could work on TV because... A lot of it is about the the gap between what Alan is saying is happening and what is actually happening. And I guess on screen, that gap is harder to, to establish. Yeah, I guess that basically just means it'd be hard work for them to make, it, <laughs> to make it work as a script. But I don't know, reading it, I, I think there are definitely a lot of sections where I could really visualise visualize it working. But um, I think ultimately with everything like this, what I love about it is it's just creating that rich backstory where they're really... Um, they're really cementing certain character traits. And I just love the fact, you know, you've got this constant unreliable narrator thing. You've got um, these consistent crap celebrities popping up. Um, the really forced nature of the f- uh, footsteps walk itself. Like he hates walking, doesn't, isn't really that close to his father full stop. And basically the, the whole joke of the conceit being it really serves no purpose and nothing will actually come of it. Uh, I would say personally that I preferred this to iPartridge. Mm. I think the reason being that iPartridge is brilliant and obviously it was the first time that we saw Alan in the written form and there were loads of kind of literary techniques and styles that we hadn't really seen before. So that was really funny and that's obviously continued into this. But there was a lot of repetition in terms of the stories that you'd kind of heard before. Mm-hmm. And there is a little bit of repetition in, in Nomad, but what I liked about this was that the through line or the, the story that sort of underpinned this was completely original. And I feel like there's more original Partridge in this than there is in I Partridge. And I think for that reason, I preferred it. Um, and I'm kind of a bit dis- disappointed with myself that it took me so long <laughs> to read it. Can I just say, I told you guys literally years ago that it was great. 
Yep, but I, <laughs> I, I came to it a lot later, so I only read it this year, and I must admit that's a bit of a failing on my part because yeah. I think I will definitely return to this. I mean, I've listened to it in the run-up to this easily six times, and I, I will definitely continue to listen to it. But for me, it just pips I Partridge just. Hang on a minute. Six times? This means it's the most prepared for a series you've ever, ever, ever been. That's what, that's what you're hearing. Yeah. <laughs> the I'm, numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just genuinely shocked. Um, yeah, my thoughts, I mean, generally excellent. Um, to your point, I think I prefer iPartridge slightly more. Again, like both are really great. I would say um, iPartridge is 10 on 10. This is a 9 out of 10. Um, the only reason I prefer iPartridge a little bit was I think partly due to the reason that I'd never heard him in audiobook form before. So having that as kind of almost new partridge um, was just a really nice new way of, of hearing it. And it was like a pleasant surprise. I kind of compare it to um, sort of the Guardians of the Galaxy film in that no one was expecting it. And when it comes, it kind of takes everyone by surprise. And almost that surprise factor that it's good is almost kind of almost kind of elevates it in itself. Question. Do you think, um, and I might be slightly guilty of this as well, do you think you might prefer iPartridge slightly because there's more familiarity with it you you know you've lived with it for longer maybe you've, you've definitely heard it or read it more times as well maybe i i think i just think in general it's a slightly better book because of because it's kind of good for old school alan fans in that it talks about a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. we we are we know about and this is all new not to say that it's bad in any way shape or form like i said i think it's generally excellent um and i think i completely agree with you tom that it could have worked as a tv show very visual there's some good sort of slapstick moments there's classic alanisms that i think would have worked well in tv format or special format um classic alan mishaps lots of gold and just generally there were lots of sort of moments and gags and uh, like i say alanisms that really made me laugh out loud a lot um so yeah like nick i will keep returning to it because i think it's great i think it's going to be one of those things that will be quite good to listen to at night to go to sleep if you're familiar with it it's just it's 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 the soothing ge- sounds of coogan exactly a soothing sounds of alan um <laughs> yeah it, it's generally brilliant and again i think the sentiment around the table and i think from fans as well is that Alan really works in the book format. As long as the conceit is right and um, Coogan does the audio book, I think there's definitely room for more Alan books. But obviously, it's it's getting around mm. to writing them or whatever. But he definitely works in the in the uh, in the literary form, and I, I'm keen to see more uh, see more Alan books. See, I think I'm slightly cooler on it than everyone else. I think Nomad is very impressive, um, even more so when I realised it was basically written in, in six weeks. Uh, that's a pretty good turnaround. We have that on good authority, on don't good we? Good authority. Um, <laughs> I think uh, some of it works because they can go on such random tangents and wander off topic and lose their place and it's covered by Alan's own ineptitude but I do think that's perhaps been used a bit too much uh, there are like we were talking about the you know the slightly deflated ending of the book uh, mm. it's kind of you can explain it away by saying well it's just Alan being a bad writer but that doesn't make up for it being a slightly disappointing mm. experience at the end of the book um, I've got to say I don't find written Alan or even audiobook Alan quite as funny as on screen Alan I can see why the book's great and I can appreciate why people enjoy it but I need his mannerisms I think for the full of effect mm-hmm. um, and also much as you hear interviews with like armando and those guys talking about when they're writing this stuff it drives them crazy because it's like being in a room with alan for, for eight hours reading this book or listening to the audiobook is an awful long time to spend in that universe in the mm-hmm. mind of alan yeah and i mean speaking as someone who's now what clocked up 75 odd episodes of talking about alan <laughs> oh, more. I, I do find <laughs> yeah. i do find living in a book book world alan a little bit too much in one go for me um 
You'd rather stick with a 28 minute chunk, basically. I think so. Yeah. Or, yeah. or at least at least feel free to kind of dip in and out rather mm. than kind of uh, go for something quite so so lengthy. At one point, we heard that the plan for this book had been a collection of, of failed business ideas and letters and other correspondence. And I'm glad it's not that because mm-hmm. that has a, the bit of a smell of a cash in uh, mm. to it. And, yeah. and that's what lesser shows have done. Um so yeah, I also think the pacing could have been a little bit better, um, but I gather that a lot of it they were writing as they go, and the book was commissioned before there was a firm idea. Um, I don't want to be too down on it. I think it's very funny and and it's really amusing, but it doesn't kind of have me in stitches in the same way that a TV show would, and I think that's where Alan really thrives. Yeah, I, I, one kind of additional point I think that's worthy uh, of making is I quite like that with the audiobooks, you, you, you tend to think with an audio audiobook, you need to listen to it from beginning to end. Whereas I think one of the beauties of these books is you can just listen to like uh, the Gatwick candidate as a, as a chapter yep. and it works just, you mm. don't need the context. Mm. It could, you could just listen to the Evans uh, chapter um, <laughs> or, or the swallow episode in uh, I'm partridge. Basically you can dip in and dip out of it. And I think that that is uh, to its credit that actually you can just uh, pick out the highlights. You don't need to go through all six hours of it. So to your point, you don't yeah. need to have just six hours. Of you, it. You, you can, can create your own up. best of the book, can't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> And I mean, I, I, uh, as well, to, to give it its credit, I can't think of any other kind of... Uh, comedy property that began on radio and tv and is translated so well over to books but that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that books is uh, is where this belongs oh no definitely i completely agree that tv alan is the best alan i you know that want to make that absolutely clear (laughs) uh but the audio is is uh, a, a welcome second so yeah that's our thoughts on nomad thank you so much for those of you that have joined us over the last few months to uh, tackle it alongside us uh, we hope that you uh, go back to it with fresh eyes and perhaps enjoy it all over again uh it goes without saying that we'll be back with future alan projects there's new alan in the pipeline we know a uh, series being recorded probably at around the time that you uh, are listening to this podcast so uh, we should be back to cover that in the new year um, and there's also a few tidbits of alan that we've left on the cutting room floor that we'll gather up and uh, present in future if you'd like to get in touch in the meantime it's the partridge pod at gmail.com we're on facebook.com slash the partridge pod twitter it's at the partridge pod instagram at monkey tennis pod and the monkey tennis hotline is open 24 7 for all your alan venting needs oh seven nine two three six hundred zero one seven thanks so much for those of you who've joined us on this series and also those of you that have stuck with us through what 75 plus episodes god bless you oh, we're, uh, in, we're into the <laughs> 80s by now so what was it tom we are we've got more episodes than game of thrones we've got now. more episodes than game of thrones which means we are better than game of thrones <laughs> yeah. and also this is our eighth series so we're hoping it does doesn't prompt a similar backlash um, <laughs> from all of us at monkey tennis the alan partridge fan podcast thanks and goodbye goodbye, goodbye. Go. should we walk home anyway i think that's everything all right then thank you i must complete the journey that my father never could i must do it on foot can't remember why it will be called the footsteps of my father walk my home isn't insulated Monkey tennis? Heathrow is just an absolute tit of an airport. Quite simply, cows. Monkey tennis? With a stupid Ewok head. Lava on him, Nolsey. Love you, Aim. Monkey tennis? A total wazzock of a guy. Infinity, the final frontier. Monkey tennis? We will talk about it now, Mr. Nichols. Monkey tennis? Motherfucker. Gary Wilmot. Okay. Sue Cook. Okay. Dale Winton. Okay. Monkey tennis. Oh, fuck off, Nick. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.